So good morning, Reading Family Church. It's great to see you. So Liz and I uh, will be feeding back from our sabbatical, amongst other things. But before I do that, I just wanted to remind you of Vision Sunday on the 8th of October. As I look out, there are a number of new faces, for me at least, and I'd love to get to know you. We've not been around for three or so months over the summer. But just to let you know, and those who are regular, we believe that in the town of Reading, our church has got a unique contribution to bring. There's only one church in Reading, that Jesus is, made up of lots of what we call churches, but there's only one. And we bring a unique contribution, and we don't want that to be lost as new people are added to us. We're clear on that. We're confident in that. And the truth is, we want you caught up in that. And so Vision Sunday helps both the regulars and new people all get in on the same place. So if you could flick the slide up with a date on that, it'd be great. So that's the 8th of October, two weeks' time for our Vision Sunday. That'd be great. Fabulous. Can you hear me? Wonderful. Thank you, Cam. He's been working so hard on uh, mics this morning. Um, we wanted just to feed back on our 12-week sabbatical. We thought it'd be helpful for you to know that God did speak to us and what some of the things that he said. So Sean and I were away for 12 weeks through June, July and August. If you're new amongst us, it's so good to see you here. Um, just to let you know a little bit about what we did, um, we had holidays at the both ends of our um, time away so we went away on our own and went away with our family at the end we had weddings at both ends of those from the same family bizarrely so we were bookended by holidays and weddings um, Sean and I went on a retreat together so we prayed and read together um, for a week we both had five day retreats at different times on our own so we loved being together but it was really nice to scatter and do our own thing um, I did a three-day theology course in London in the book of Matthew, which I absolutely loved. Uh, Sean did a little bit more cycling than I did, so he did a few little cycle adventures. God really speaks to him in those moments. Uh, we were able to worship with our children, which is a real highlight. We've got three kids um, in their 20s now, and so to be in their churches and their settings was such a joy because most Sundays were here, so it was a real privilege to be with them. Anything else that we did? Uh, we had fun. Um, we spent loads of time in God's Word, and I think it was just the privilege of having that time and space to pray and read. And so I just wanted to thank you all for releasing us, encouraging us to go, uh, holding for the team were just utterly incredible here. Incredible how they've loved everybody and served. And I want to say a massive thank you to the many of you who prayed for us. We really knew the sweetness of God through our three months. And so thank you for praying for us, lifting us up. Uh, we really knew his hand. So that's kind of the shape of what we did. But Sean and I are then are going to feed back a little bit of what we feel God spoke to us. So we're going to do this. I'm going to give three reflections um, with a theme. And then Liz is going to give another three. And then we're going to land in all of this. And we're believing that Jesus is going to be full screen. I mean, that's a brilliant prophetic yes, word. So Tim's good. song selections, he always rigorously looks for truth. And then Cats and then Scott's Re I just thought, gosh, and then Mo lifting us up. I, it's just one of those brilliant. So if you're online, I, I'm trusting you've felt the presence of God like we have. It's been brilliant here in this room. But I'm going to talk, uh, my, I've got to watch my time, my three things... 
Uh, about 20 years ago, uh, I was on a retreat and someone used new language for me that I've used almost for 20 years. And he talked about the garden of your heart. And if you've been around me over the last two decades, you know this is my language. And so I regularly sit down and I walk around the garden of my heart. I've got a little cabin in our garden at home. I love sitting in our garden, depending on the time of day, depending on the weather, depending on the season, the garden's always changing. There's always something growing, there's always something that Liz thinks I should be cultivating or cropping. There's just always stuff going on in gardens. You're not really in control of it all, but you need to monitor it. And it's a place, I, it just reminds me of Eden, being in the presence of God. Just works for me, being outdoors. And there's this analogy of just walking around your garden and just observing what's going on in your heart and using that gardening analogy to understand that. And so I spent really three months gardening my heart. So I'm wired differently to Liz. Uh, more Christian content in and of itself wasn't what I was looking for. I had that. But it was just more understanding what's going on inside me, what's growing in me, uh, what do I need to give attention to. And the first of those was just walk around my garden and just thinking about faith. We know that the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now we know that is true because it says that in the Bible. So there is something, even though I'm associated with Christ through faith, there is something about my faith exploits that please God. And so as I'm walking around my garden, I'm just thinking, where can I see evidence and activity of faith because I guess like like me you too want to you know you want to please God you want your life to please God and when I walk around my garden I, I, I've got two things going on I, over the summer I was thinking well where can I see the presence of faith in my life where can I see that I'm actively cutting and pruning or, or just making space and sowing seeds and waiting that's a faith activity for me. As I look around, can I see there's, you know, in places it's footprints and tools have been set up and I can see, you know, genuinely I'm working on areas of my life and that's good because that's what I want to do. So I'm looking for the presence of, of, of faith but also the absence of weeds of worry and the voice of the snake. Because I find in my life there's, there's always moments uh, where weeds of Doubt and worry are creeping up, but also the voice of the snake, the serpent. Did God really say that? And it seems like it's always in my garden somewhere. And the issue is really how big and untended is those areas. And so I'm looking for the absence of faith and really, sorry, the presence of faith. And but sometimes it could be the other way, can't it? You're more aware of the absence of faith, more aware of the presence of the weeds of doubt. And the voice of the serpent, that seems ever-present and the louder voice. And so I'm doing this audit, and for me, uniquely, I'm a professional Christian. I literally get paid to be here today. I literally get paid to read my Bible and to care about you. And yet that's my job. And the problem with that, of course, if you follow that through, is that I get a Christian lifestyle. Obviously, that's in my job, the same with your job. And I have this garden that's low-maintenance. Looks good very functional, but spiritually sterile. And it, is like, it looks good, very functional, and, and I don't want that for me, and you don't want that for me in the job that I do. And so as I'm gardening, I'm, I'm kind of looking around. And so one of the things that I did, I'm, I am watching the time, we've got to keep moving, I decided what would be helpful for me is to have a five-day prayer retreat on my own, 
And I set myself two questions. The first one is, is there a God? Because like you, I, I do occasionally get doubts. And can I trust him? And so I know the answer to those two questions. But I wanted to know the answer to those two questions. Are you with me on this? So I, go on my, I get on my bike, unsurprising, on the Monday. It's down in pool. That's all part of how it works for me. And then I'm, I'm on my own. And on Thursday night, in my room, 7pm to 9.30pm, I'll meet the king. It's taken me a good few days. I get my answer. And you, you can't get that from YouTube. You don't get that from a book. Why I'm wired? It's three or four days chasing the face of God as best I'm able to do. And I'm hugely privileged to be able to do that. And so I get that. Now, I'm aware, and I'm thinking, I'm coming back. You know, I'm guarding my heart. I'm looking for just the presence of faith. Can I see activities of faith in the garden of my heart? Or are they just weeds? Because, you know, some weeds, you think, oh, it's not very big. And you give it a pull, and then there's this massive root. Or you're, you're, this, this weed of doubt actually has become this tree, and you just hadn't paid attention to it. And, and I want to say to you, that in this church family, it's okay to have weeds of doubt and to hear the serpent's voice loud because you don't have to garden on your own. The truth of them, you won't know this, lots of people help me garden. Lots of people come in over the years and even now helping walk around my garden and equipping me and encouraging me and bringing their tools to bear. They're just more skilled at gardening in my heart, gardening my heart than I am. And I thought that discipline that I have, uh, that process that I run through is a helpful tool to feedback and say to you, sisters, brothers, garden your heart and look for the presence of faith. Those activities that say, I'm clearing some space, I'm sowing some seeds, I'm by faith cutting back, or I'm enjoying the faithfulness of God in my life. It pleases God. It pleases God. So the first one, am I still on track on time? Give me a nudge if I go over. Liz said, Sean, you're ne that's why I've got the briefest of notes. Because I'm just too full, which is good. The second thing I want to say is family. Family. As I walk around my garden, I've got my life first since I became a Christian. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, that's deep in my bones. God put it there sovereignly. That wasn't my wisdom. God just spoke it into me when I was spiritually reborn. And as I walked around my garden, and please don't judge me, but I feel, by the grace of God, I'm an okay husband. Now's a good time to affirm. <laughs> and I'm an, You're I'm more an, than okay. I'm okay. I, I feel... I'm, I, I'm playing my card. I'm delighted. I'm not a finished product. I'm delighted where I'm as a husband and a father. I'm getting better at being a son to my mother. I don't feel aware I want to be as a brother to my siblings. I've lost contact with my multiple half-brothers and step-brothers. And I'm, I'm still learning what it is to be an uncle. But the real wonder as I do an audit of where I am is if you knew my childhood, you would be as surprised as I am that I feel like I'm a good father and a good husband. Uh, I learned a new phrase yesterday, I was on some training. I had an ace childhood. In fact, I had multiple aces in my childhood. 
I had adverse childhood experiences that massively shaped me. My father's a violent alcoholic. Family life for us, we were dirt poor, it was chaotic. My stepdad was just tricky. My mum's husband now is back. It was chaotic. I had no idea the impact upon me. When I became a Christian, I, my gardening tools for the, my heart around being a, a husband and a father, I felt like I had half a scissor. I had a spoon from the kitchen drawer, a bit of shoelace. I felt, I, I felt like I, I didn't know. But when I became a Christian, God set me in his family. And then I started babysitting for families and, and serving in kids' church. So suddenly I'm around husbands and fathers and watching their lives. And I learned from people in Bracknell and the church was there how to be a husband, how to be a father, how to be a son. You know, in, in this church, even more recently, we've got a 25-year-old, a 23-year-old and a 19-year-old. Having teenagers can be challenging. I loved it. But I've, I've learned from fathers in our church. Uh, a few years ago, when we were getting our, our boiler bust, I got it replaced. I remember saying to you, I've got to get this boiler. We had stored water. I'm way on wide. I get frustrated the amount of sh- how long the showers are in our family. So a new boiler, trying to how big a tank do I need for hot water. And this father who's ahead of me, he's, he said to me, Sean, just get what's called a condensing boiler, basically instant hot water. He said, the way you're wired, you just need endless hot water. They will soon leave home and you're stressing about stuff you regret. And, and more than that, this person put in the extra money so I could buy the boiler. My, my kids still have long showers. It's 11 litres a minute, because I've got a water meter, I'm thinking like that. <laughs> but, by the grace of God, I have never had a meltdown when the girls have had, typically the girls with a hair conditioning, apparently it's a whole, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> I'm like, listen, it's a minute. What? Just get it done. <laughs> I got that from an older father in the church. I, I took my, my son and my youngest daughter to the Brecon Beacons. The reason I know to go to Penny Fan and the path up there is because a father in this church took me there. On Penny Fan, I texted him and said, I've brought my kids here. They've loved it. Thank you for showing me this place. I, I'm still being fathered. And I, I want to say... To all of us, we're a large family now, but we are a family. We're not an institution. You know, we're not a couple. We are the family of God. And this family is going to strengthen one another as a family, and we're going to strengthen the families in this church. And if you're like me, you feel weak in this area of family, for whatever reason, maybe you didn't have an ace childhood, I did but you need help most likely, or if you're single, I just want to let you know, be like me. Families, please open up to the singles, to those who are hurting. And for those who are single and hurting or stepping in, step into the family lives. We are going to continue. To, I know we're a big church family. We're about 800. We had 600 last week, but not everyone comes. I don't know where you all are. I know you're not in this room. Quite thankful because the room gets full. We're a big church family. <laughs> But we're going to continue to try to operate as a family. That's one of the things. Church is family. Church is family. We learn from one another. And I'll quickly, moving on. So I, I do this audit of my, how am I going as a family? Isn't it, I am a trophy of grace because I'm part of you. And you are helping me be a better husband, father, son. Move on. 
the last thing, you're going to think we have really weird times together. But the, the third, so I've talked to uh, the gardener heart. I garden a heart for faith. I garden a heart for family because family is really important to me. What I didn't have, I want my family to have and I want other people to appreciate. It is wonderful when family works well. But there's grace when it doesn't. God helps us. Is future. Future. As I think about the future, um, in my garden... I've got a bench, the garden, I've got this bench that I sit on, and the bench is simply this. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And Liz and I regularly sit on that bench, and we look ahead at our tombstones. And, and we just see on our tombstones, rest in peace. That is an unconditional promise from God. A day is coming when I am going to die, Liz is going to die, and we are going to rest mm. in peace. Mm. That is an unconditional promise of God. We, I am going to know peace. All this stress, and all, we are going to rest in peace. That is a confident promise. And Liz and I are often sitting on that bench. We're literally going walks, coastal walks, talking about who's going to die first. I reckon Liz is going to get a little dog. Just because it's going to get her out and it's not to be as demanding as me. You know? <laughs> so there's that sense. But actually, it's really healthy. Over the summer, I was doing lots of retirement planning. I'm, in my, I'm 56. I've got 10 years to go. I can draw a pension in 11 years. Tim Keller died 72. He had three years with terminal cancer, which means for me, if I follow that time path, and that would be good, I guess, I've got maybe 16 more years then I would die at 72. So all my retirement planning, Liz is going to benefit from. <laughs> but when I die, when I die, I want to die sweet-spirited, not bitter. I want to die beloved in a church family, not alone. I want to die with recent stories of faith, not nostalgia of the glory days. Do you remember that sabbatical in 2023? I don't want to be looking back. You know, I want to die well, confident, not wobbly and doubting. It's, I, I just, that's how I feel now. I understand. I understand. It, it, you know, death is difficult to consider. I understand sitting on that bench with Liz and with friends... We do that. We sit on that bench looking at our stones. Did it over the summer. That's easy to do when you're healthy. It's easy to do when you haven't got chronic pain. I understand that. But I also know that it's a good bench to sit on in the garden of my heart and to consider easily. Because the Bible says to live is Christ. So let's live for Christ. What do we need to do? Let's exercise faith. And to die is gain. And the Bible is true. That is true. That is true. I want you to die in Christ. I want to die in Christ. And that is gain. Let's, let's not settle for anything else. God has underlined that in my life. What's I think that was on track. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. I'm not sure if they're applauding what you said or that you kept on time, but never mind. Um, 
Sean and I work really differently, actually, and it will probably come through as I speak. But we got to very similar places on numbers of things. So my three things aren't little snippets of Fs. My first thing is that I was really reaffirmed my confidence and delight in God's word over the sabbatical. One of the highlights for me genuinely, apart from being on, well, on holiday, was just time in God's word. I love sitting in the Bible and just having extended time to study, to meditate, to consider, to think was just the most incredible thing. I love what the Bible says. That just gives me the biggest thrill. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. But I love even more the one who it reveals. The Bible is ultimately, first and foremost, a book about God. Hmm. And for it to reveal who he is, I just had such a reaffirmed confidence in God's word, in the trustworthiness of God's word, this incredible box of delights, this treasure chest that we are given as believers, as those who follow Jesus. And I've really felt I saw the beauty and glory and truth of who Jesus is, the one who is full of grace and truth, John says. And um, one of the things, two things that helped me, just wanted to recommend two books to you, Surprised by Jesus. That, again, picking up full screen, such a brilliant analogy. Surprised by Jesus by Dane Ortland. Many of you will have read Gentle and Lonely that he wrote. Such a beautiful book about the different aspects of Jesus' character through the Gospels. So um, encouraged me. And The Secret Place of Thunder. I think it's a book for now about how to cultivate a hidden life in Christ. We live in a world now which is promoting everything exterior. Show your life on Instagram. Show it to be a certain way on Facebook. This book is all about cultivating a hidden life in Christ, that there's one who's going to see it. So incredible. So I'm really just so encouraged by God's word, the trustworthiness of his word, the authority of God's word, the Bible which reveals who God is to us. And one of the things that I really began to think about is how we have equipped or not equipped one another with tools to excavate God's word. If God's word is like a coal face, full of treasure, of truth, of amazing resource for us, I'm not sure that we have equipped one another well with tools to dig and get out that truth. No one has ever taught me how to read the Bible, but I've just learned. And so one of the things I've been thinking about is how do we equip and resource the church better so that we ask the right questions of the text, that we understand genre of scripture, we understand how context is important. We love the people that come and preach and show us that. But you can do it in your home, in your bedroom, in your lounge, if you've got the right tools. And so that's one of the things I'm beginning to think about is how do we equip the church with better tools to be able to excavate God's word for ourselves, that we don't just rely on a Sunday when somebody clever is going to teach us, but we ourselves are excavating it. So that was my first thing, just reaffirmed my confidence in God's word. Um, I reassessed the cost of following Jesus. This one went deep into me. So Jesus talks about a grain of wheat dying in order for it to bring fruit. He talks about hating our lives in this world in order to gain eternal life. He says that to be a disciple of his, that we have to renounce everything that we own in order to follow him. I mean, if that's not full screen, what is? And I just was hit with a fresh revelation 
of the all-encompassing nature of what it costs to follow Jesus. You know, it's not an option to have full screen. It is or it isn't. Jesus says he wants all of us. He wants our ambition. He wants our aspirations and our dreams. He wants our time. He wants our thought life. He wants our time scales that I felt was massive for me. Can't you do it in this time, Jesus? No, he wants that. He wants our reputation and our image, as well as our finances and our family, as well as our relationships. And I just began to go through, how do I keep giving him everything? It's really hard, isn't it? You just find yourself clawing bits back. And I found myself in Hebrews 11, that roll call of faith, men and women who faithfully followed Jesus and thinking, how did some do it and how did others not? Why did some finish well and some didn't? And I think the key is in the life of Moses. The writer of Hebrews says of him, he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Something like that. I think it says on the, on the screen. He endured because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Reassess the cost of following Jesus. Is it up there? Yeah. It was seeing Jesus that enabled Moses to keep going. It was seeing the wonder of who Jesus was, of God, who he was, that enabled him to keep going. And Psalms 9.10 says this, those who know you put their trust in you. And it made me come back to the whole thing of how do we know God? It's through his word. We need to equip one another with tools that help us to know more of God. Because as we know God, the psalmist says we trust God. When we trust him, we Mm. obey him. And so the, the reality is that unless we know God more, we will never obey him. We will never be able to keep giving our lives to him. We've got to know him better. So that was one of the things I just kept thinking about. We've got to keep seeing Jesus. The direction of our affection determines our trajectory. Gone Pentecostal on you. But I thought that this this morning. The direction of our affection determines our trajectory. What we look at, what we're seeing, determines the direction we're going. We become what we behold. And I just found Hebrews 11, that roll call of faith, such a provocation. Jesus demands everything. But the only way we're going to be able to keep giving it him is if we keep seeing him. Because then we realise he's so trustworthy to give everything to. He's so beautiful. So that was my second thing. And the third thing I reflected on was the call to holy living. I mean, I just felt uh, so challenged by the call of following Jesus. So I spent quite a bit of my time in the general epistles. So James 1 and 2 Peter, 1, 2, 3 John and Jude. I know those books fairly well, but I was doing some study for something that I might be doing. And just seeing Jesus held high in those books, and then as a result, the call to follow him in the way that he lived, I found deeply, deeply challenging. So the book of Peter is all about how Jesus obeyed, suffered, died, was resurrected, and ascended to glory. And his followers are to to do the same, to obey him. They will experience suffering, but then when they die, they will be resurrected and ascend to glory. As the master goes, so the followers should go. 
And each book, whether it's explicit or implicit, reminds the readers of the cost of following Christ and the call to pattern our lives on him. And the scripture that really went through me was 3.17 of 1 Peter. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if the Lord wills, than to suffer for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good, if the Lord wills, than to suffer for doing evil. And to paraphrase that, Peter's basically saying it's better to suffer than to sin. Hmm. Cheery stuff. It's better to suffer than to sin. But God wants his people to live faithfully and to obey him according to his will, even if that results in our suffering, even if that results in our hardship of some kind. And equally, if we think of suffering as self-denial, which I think a lot of Peter talks about, the pain of not getting what we want in self-denial, Peter says, it's better that you suffer unfulfilled desires than you sin in order to have them. And I've just been going over so much of my life of where I feel, oh, that's an unfulfilled desire, but that's better because I'm pursuing Christ. Or where should I be suffocating desires that I want in order to pursue him? And I found this personally a deeply challenging word, but I feel it's a word for the church in this season, in our culture now, that it's better that we suffer, that we suffer unfulfilled desires, unfulfilled wants, unfulfilled relationships, unfulfilled ambitions for the sake of Christ than we sin to get them. I mean, it seems to be what Peter says to us. To follow Christ is cost. It's dying to ourselves or what we want. So for me, it's been a deeply transformative kind of three months, I'm more confident than ever that Jesus is returning. He really is coming back. And he calls us to live in light of that and to suffer for doing good. But that would be me. I want to very quickly circle back round to the bench in your garden as you look upon your tombstone and just remind you of a little tool I gave you last week from Glenn Scrivener, three, two, one. The Bible says that God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God and there is one God. And God longs, and so he sent his son Jesus to invite you into that family of love. If the band can start coming back. Three, God of the Bible is three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he sent his son to invite us into that community of love. Two, the Bible says the world is represented by two people. There's those represented by Adam. Adam means mankind. And uh, Adam turned from God in on himself and plunged the world into curse and to sin and to rebellion. And that's the pain that we all feel every day. But Jesus understood that, so he came and he was another representative, a second Adam. And the death that he died was our death. And the life that he lived prior to that was our life. And his resurrection is our resurrection when we put mm. our trust in him. Mm. 
if you put your trust in Jesus, if you're one with him. Three, two, one. You are one with Adam. Be one with Christ. You are one with Adam. You will be judged and found short. We implore you, we say, be one with Christ. Yes. That you may have his life. That you might have his father. That you might have his joy. And that feels an important thing to keep saying, not just to equip us with another little simple tool of sharing good news, but if you're online or in the room, you need to be one with Christ. It's really important. As you sit on the bench of your garden and you look at your gravestone, it's really important to do that. So the band are here now. We're going to sing one more song to make much of God. Uh, Andy and Sarah will kind of direct this part of the meeting. But if you're able to, please stand. Holy Spirit, come in this place. We want to say again, would you bring Jesus back to full screen in our lives? Would you stir our hearts even now? Come, Holy Spirit, be at work amongst us, I pray. Amen. Amen.